I Want to Go Home, Chapter 4, Good, Clean, Wholesome, Fun. Mike Webster was dreaming. He was in jail, an innocent man, and until he had met his cellmate, there had been no hope. But now they were tunneling and freedom was only meters away. He could feel his cellmate tugging at him, urging him forward. I'm coming, I'm coming, mumbled Mike. Shh! Rudy's white face loomed over him in the darkened cabin. They're all asleep, let's go. Mike let himself down from the upper bunk and silently struggled into his clothes. What time is it? he whispered. A little after five, Rudy whispered back. It'll be daylight by the time we reach the mainland. Hurry up! The two boys tiptoed across the room and then let themselves out of cabin 13, taking great care to shut the door noiselessly behind them. They raced through the darkness to the waterfront and the dock. Look, said Mike nervously as Rudy selected a small motorboat. Are you sure about this? I heard someone say you can't swim. Of course I can swim, said Rudy, his poker face expressing nothing. He paused. What about you? Can you swim? Sure, I wouldn't set foot in a boat if I couldn't. Anyway, here's two life jackets. Rudy and Mike quickly donned the life jackets and hopped into the boat. Rudy cast off from the dock and gave a mighty heave on the starter cord. The small outboard motor turned over and roared to life. Rudy cast Mike a look of triumph as the small boat pulled away from the dock and headed towards the open water. How long do you think it'll take to get to the mainland? shouted Mike over the engine noise. He cast a nervous eye back towards the sleeping island. Maybe 10 or 15 minutes, Rudy called back. It's clear sailing from here on in. The sky was just beginning to show the first streaks of dawn and the little outboard was halfway to the mainland when Rudy and Mike first spotted the big Ontario Provincial Police cruiser. It shone a spotlight on them then pulled alongside the small craft. An officer appeared and gazed down at the two boys. Hi, he said by way of greeting. What are you fellows doing on this? Where are you fellows going at this hour of the morning? The mainland, sir, Rudy said. Are you from Algonquian, asked the officer. Yes, sir, of course, the two boys. Well, now let's check out your gear. Life jackets on correctly? Yup. Extra gas can? Yup. Emergency oars? Yup. Bailing bucket? What? No, bailing bucket? Where's your bailing bucket? There was a long silence. Darn it, said Rudy mildly. We must have forgotten. No, bailing bucket, repeated the officer. You just turn that rig around and go right back to camp and don't come out again without a bailing bucket. Obediently, Rudy turned the boat around and headed back towards Algonquian Island. We got away with everything, said Mike bitterly, and we forgot the bailing bucket. No bailing bucket, Rudy repeated half to himself. With the patrol boat still in the area, Rudy piloted the outboard back to the Algonquian dock and moored it there. Come on, he said to Mike, back to our cell. <sighs> that was awful, breathed Mike. Ah, well, Rudy shrugged, the image of Alcatraz Island strong in his mind. At least we weren't fired upon, and tomorrow's another day. As the two boys crossed the camp and compound to cabin 13 and let themselves in, everyone else was still asleep. Rudy reached into his duffel bag, pulled out his chalk, and drew another line on the cabin wall. Three, he counted. Well, Miller, said Chip over breakfast that morning, are you and Webster going to join our volleyball game today? Gee, no, said Rudy blandly. We're really more interested in arts and crafts. Yes, I thought so, said Chip cunningly. Today before lunch, I want to see that there salad hay you're working on. Mike turned deathly white. Certainly, said Rudy. Should be ready by then, right, Mike? If we hurry, agreed Mike in a strange, strangled voice. Great, said Chip. I'm really looking forward to seeing what keeps you glued to arts and crafts. As long as he keeps Miller away from us, it's fine, Harold Green said viciously. Rudy stared at him pityingly. All right, you guys, bellowed Chip, out to the volleyball court. Miller, Webster, I'll see you and your salad hay here at lunch. He jogged off at the head of his troop. Now what are we going to do? asked Mike miserably as he and Rudy walked into the empty cabin. Chip wants to see our salad hay. We haven't got our salad hay. There is no such thing as a salad hay. Yes, there is, said Rudy. I told you it means dirt. So how are we going to produce a salad hay by lunchtime? 
Shouldn't be too difficult, said Rudy. There's plenty of dirt around. A sweep of his arm indicated his general surroundings. Yeah, agreed Mike, but Chip expects some sort of art thing. What our resident clone expects is not important, said Rudy. Salate means dirt, and that's exactly what he's getting. A bag of dirt? said Mike incredulously. Certainly not, said Rudy indignantly. That would be cheap. We'll give him the dirt properly in a properly made wooden box. Do they have woods at I- wood at Arts and Crafts? asked Mike. Probably, replied Rudy, but it doesn't matter. We're not using that wood anyways. He rubbed his hands together with glee and almost smiled. We're going to use the wooden slats that support Harold Green's mattress. Mike gasped. You wouldn't. Yes, I would, said Rudy. His clone ship will love this, mumbled Rudy, his mouth full of nails. Mike secured the last hinge on the lid of the box. Should we paint it? It would look nicer, said Rudy, taking the nails from his mouth and putting them down on the table. I see it sky blue. Symbolic, you know. Sky on the inside, on the outside and dirt earth on the inside. <laughs> I'll get the paint left, Mike. Tomorrow, said Rudy thoughtfully, as they daubed pale blue paint onto their creation. We'll go earlier and we'll take a sailboat to make sure we're not heard by any patrols. And a bailing bucket, added Mike. Don't forget the bailing bucket. It was uppermost in my mind, said Rudy. How long will it take for the paint to dry, asked Mike, leaning back to admire their handiwork. The jar said half an hour, Rudy replied, but let's put it out in the sun to speed it up. It's almost lunchtime and we still have to fill it. How long will that take? There's dirt all over the compound. For a superior salad, hey, said Rudy, one must use superior dirt. I wonder what he'll say when he'll give it to him. Oh, that's easy. He'll say, Miller, or he'll say nothing at all. Overcome, you see. Rudy glanced at his watch. We'll soon find out. Pierre, the arts and crafts counselor, strolled over to inspect their work. It's a nice, neat job, he observed, well sanded. Thanks, said Mike. We used only the best wood put in Rudy, aged and stress-tested. Stress-tested, Pierre repeated. For a little box like that, what are you planning to put in it? Dirt, said Rudy. It's a present for our counselor. Pierre stared at him. Tell me, would you by any chance be Miller? Why, yes, said Rudy, coming perilously close to smiling. Chip had been obviously dropping his name at the counselor's meetings. This pleased him immensely. Come on, urged Mike. It's as dry as it's going to get. Let's uh, finish it up and go for lunch. It was great meeting you, said Pierre dubiously. I'm glad you enjoy arts and crafts. Bye, said Mike. The two boys left the arts and crafts cabin in search of superior dirt. Chip rubbed his hands together with great glee. Miller and Webster are late for lunch, he gloated, looking around the mess hall. I've got them now. They're going to have to admit they weren't in arts and crafts yesterday, and they didn't build a salate. He smiled. He was going to put them on work detail for the rest of their miserable lives. Well, said Harold sarcastically, where are two artists? Shut up, Green, said Chip absently. They'll be here. Hey, look, Chip, called Adam from the end of the table. Here they come. Into the mess hall came Rudy and Mike, proudly bearing their salate on a pillow. They threaded their way through the other tables, walked up to table 13, and head out, held out the small blue box for Chip's inspection. There it is, said Rudy, the salate. Chip was dumbfounded. They had actually done it. They had actually built a salate. He lifted the lid and looked inside. Dirt. It looked like dirt. Some topsoil, some clay, a few stones, and the odd blade of grass. Dirt. He ran his fingers through it. Dirt. This couldn't be a salate. He had looked it up this morning in the dictionary and been unable to find it, but whatever it was, this couldn't possibly be it. He looked up at Mike. The boy's face was bright red. His eyes turned towards Rudy. His expression was inscrutable as usual. Miller, he began softly, threateningly. Rudy's eyes displayed deep pain. Don't you like it? It's, uh, it's, uh, very interesting, stammered Chip. I think it stinks, piped up Harold Green. That's because you have no soul, explained Rudy pleasantly. 
I bet that's my pillow, too, accused Harold. Ah, you recognize it, said Rudy. Very good. All right, you guys, shouted Chip. Grab some lunch. This afternoon, we're all playing field hockey. He smiled maliciously at Rudy. Since you've already finished the salate, you and Webster will play, too. I don't play field hockey, said Rudy. Why not, demanded Chip. I'm a pacifist, said Rudy. Hockey is far too violent for me. Besides, Mike and I decided to spend the afternoon playing chess. Chess, howled Chip. Chess? At a camp, with all the marvelous things to do around here. You two want to play chess? What do you say, Webster? Chess is fun, said Mike lamely. It sure is, said Rudy enthusiastically. And having fun is what camp is all about. You said so yourself, Chip. Ugh, let them play chess, exclaimed Harold impatiently. At least we'll be rid of them. Shut up, Green, snapped Chip. After three days, that answer was becoming a conditioned reflex. He turned to Rudy and Mike. All right, but just for today. Tomorrow, you're joining the baseball team like everybody else. Rudy looked significantly towards Mike. If all went well, there wouldn't be a tomorrow. Hmm, I think he took it rather well, said Rudy, casting his, castling his king into safety. After all, it's not every day a clone is presented with a box of high-grade dirt. Mike pushed his king's rook pawn. He's not such a bad guy, you know. Agreed, said Rudy. He just happens to be in the wrong place. In my way. I'm afraid he'll just have to take his lumps as I dish them out. The two exchanged queens. Maybe, suggested Mike timidly, we could just get kicked out instead of running away, you know, be like real bad and stuff. If enough counselors complain, the warden will pack us off home. <laughs> said Rudy scornfully. They'd never toss us out of here. To them, we are money in the bank. Haven't you noticed that with our clone? No matter what I do, he comes up smiling. We could no more get kicked out of here than you could win this game. I'm not losing, Mike moved his knight defensively. Yes, you are, said Rudy as he slashed in with a bishop. Checkmate. All right, you guys, bald chip. I'm going to a counselor's meeting. You get yourselves to bed on the double. He walked out of the cabin, the salate tucked neatly under his arms. Obediently, the boys began to change into their pajamas for the night. Aside from a few flying articles of clothing, all was quite peaceful. What's going to happen, whispered Mike. We'll soon find out, said Rudy. Look, there he goes. Harold Green placed his hands on the bedpost and vaulted to his upper bunk. Crash! The unsupported mattress gave way and dropped straight down onto an unsuspecting Adam Willis who had been making himself comfortable below. Ah! screamed Harold, who had tumbled down with it. Muffled shouting came from underneath him. The other boys began rushing to the rescue. Rudy ripped the sheets off the nearest bed and hurled them into the midst of the confusion. Mike, instantly grasping the spirit of the thing, began racing around the cabin, tossing pillows at random into the milling group. Boys began throwing them back. Rumble! shouted a deafening voice. Mike stared in open-mouthed amazement. The shout had come from Rudy Miller. Rudy, who never raised his voice and never involved himself in anything. That same Rudy grabbed him and the two of them shot out the door. Where are we going? This brawl isn't big enough, explained Rudy calmly. We're going for reinforcements. His eyes gleamed, although his face did not change expression. And when it's all over, we can blame it on Harold Green. Mike doubled over remembering. <laughs> did you see him fall? I thought I was going to choke. Rudy walked up to cabin 12, opened the door and leaned inside. Pardon me, he said politely. There's a pillow fight in cabin 13. If you'd like to take part, you're quite welcome. Leaving the door open, he stepped aside, pulling Mike with him. A stream of pajama-clad boys roared out of the door, waving pillows and stampeding towards cabin 13. Enthusiastic, aren't they? commented Rudy. The door of cabin 11 burst open and a voice called, What's going on? Big pillow fighting 13, hollered one of the boys from cabin 12. Come on, it's going to be a Lulu. Mike and Rudy stepped out of the way just in time to avoid the onrush from cabin 13. Rudy, said Mike nervously, what are we going to do? Do, said Rudy, we're going to sit down right here in the grass and watch. 
Cabin 13 appeared to bulge at the seams, to bounce and gyrate. Feathers from torn pillows fluttered through the open door and windows. Joyous shouts of combat came from within. The only discordant note to what seemed like a grand party was the half-crazed voice of Adam Willis, which pierced the night air. All right, Green, now you're gonna die. Mike noticed a gleam in Rudy's eye. Even as they watched, the doors of cabin 14 burst open and another dozen boys rushed in to join the fray brandishing pillows. They were lost in the swirling cloud of feathers. Wow, look at that, exclaimed Mike, half in horror. Rudy nodded. Camp, he said with an elaborate sweep of his arm. Good, clean, wholesome fun. I wonder if they keep extra pillows in stock. I tell you, it's a box of dirt. Nothing but a box of dirt, exclaimed Chip angrily. Pierre gaped in amazement at the box that he had seen Rudy and Mike build. I thought they were just being snarky when they told me they were going to fill it with dirt, he said, shaking his head. They sure are strange kids, especially that guy Miller. Strange isn't the word I'd use for Miller, growled Chip. Crazy would be more like it. He banged his fist on the table. I don't like being lied to. They said they were building a salate, and this is what they hand me. Pierre laughed out loud. Ha ha, that's exactly what you got, a salate. He stopped to catch his breath. It's French, Chip. It means dirt. Chip was struck dumb. For a moment, he stared at the blue box as if hoping that the fury in his eyes would vaporize it. Then, of course I know that salate means dirt, he howled furiously. Do you think I'm stupid? He stood up, his face bright red. Excuse me, he said. I've got to do something back at the cabin. He went out of the door of the mess hall at a dead run. Miller, he muttered as he headed towards cabin 13. Miller. A steadily increasing roar met his ears as he ran. The general noise separated itself into individual shouting voices and falling furniture. He put on a burst of speed, rounded the sports equipment shed, and stopped short. Cabin 13 was teeming, both inside and out, with pajama-clad boys merrily swinging at each other with pillows amid a snowstorm of feathers. <clears throat> the ruckus had grown, and by now most of the camp was involved. Chip's anguished eyes caught sight of two figures sitting passively on the grass. He charged up, howling, "'Miller! What's going on here?' I think it's a pillow fight, offered Rudy. What are you doing out here? I don't fight, said Rudy evenly. What started this? cried Chip frantically. It's all Harold Green's fault, tattled Rudy. He jumped on Adam for no reason at all. Arms flailing wildly, Chip rushed towards the cabin. He could not get near the door. Break it up, break it up. He was hit full face in the full in the face with a pillow, which exploded and sent more feathers flying everywhere. Chip came up sneezing and blowing short blasts on Ozosal. Now on his hands and knees, he made another attempt to get inside cabin 13, sneezing and howling madly. Rudy pointed towards the mess hall. Look, a thundering herd of clones, he observed. Now the feathers will really fly. Mike, who had not stopped laughing since Harold Green's fall, could not reply. The ground trembled and whistles shrilled as the counselors hurled themselves into the heart of the ruckus. For the next few minutes, the area boiled like a volcano. Pillows shot around like lightning bolts. The feathers were so thick that they obstructed all vision. Then slowly, the riot began to peter out. Still, it was a full ten minutes before the air cleared and silence fell. Slowly and with much effort, Chip got to his feet. His face flaming red, he walked through the crowd, which, sensing the intensity of his emotions, parted in front of him. Still he walked until he, until he was directly facing the side wall of a cabin. He stared at it for what seemed like a long time. Then he threw his head back, roared anger into the sky, lifted his foot, and dealt the cabin a mighty kick. Crack! A large chunk of the cabin wall splintered away and fell inside the building. A long, jagged split appeared in the wall itself, extending from the hole all the way up to the window. The window frame came loose and the glass shattered. The split divided into a number of smaller cracks which spidered through the wood up to the roof. A lone roof shingle jarred loose and fell to the ground, landing at Chip's feet with a soft thud. 
He looked down at it incredulously as the breeze whistled softly through the gaping hole in the cabin. There was an awful silence. Say, came the dry voice of Rudy Miller, it looks as if we're going to have to sleep in trees after all. Deep in the wooded area beside the creek, the beaver stirred restlessly. Once again, human noise had disturbed him. There had been loud noises when his old dam was destroyed, but this dam must remain safe.